All right, y'all. Here we go. Happy New Year, right? It's a good year. Some of you uh, don't seem as excited. You're like, yeah, it's a new year. I, I was... I don't know. I was waiting on the new year. I genuinely was waiting on the new year. My whole thought um, the last month or two of 2021 was if we can just make it through this year, I'm ready. Like I was ready for the new year. I was ready for the reboot, the restart. Um, and if you're in our group me, then I put out my resolutions out about five or six. Um, they are in order of importance to me. Um, and so as you go through there, but the first one for me was that I want to know the Lord and I want to make him known, like even more so. Like if we're not intent in our planning, um, I always go back to like someone who's doing fitness or working out. That's, that's just something I can easily identify with this. But if you don't have a plan to improve whenever you go into like a fitness plan or a workout plan, which come on y'all, it's December 2nd, 3rd. What are we on? I'm sorry. What did I say? Okay. So we're in January, um, new year, right? Um, but, but we're here and we know that everybody makes a fitness goal and then it usually falls off, if not within the first few days, within the first few weeks, and then definitely by the first few months. But the heart is, is right. i got to have a plan to improve. The same thing with your Christian walk. If you don't have a plan to improve, then, then you probably won't, to be quite honest. You'll just kind of be like a, a bobber out there on the, on the lake and it might sit there, but whenever the wind starts to blow, it's ultimately just going to move it off course, right? So we want to be anchored. And so having a good plan, I put my five to six out there. That's not to say do my five to six. That's so that you can hold me accountable. Ricky, are you really, are you really loving your wife more sacrificially and more deeply this year? Are you? Ricky, are you really striving to pastor better and to, to do it well? Are you really... Ricky, have you started riding again? Because most people don't know this, but I love to ride. That's what I used to do. I have a, a degree in creative writing, and I had all these publications. And then, and then the more kids I had, the less I wrote. And over the past year, it's been a strong conviction of you really should be riding again. And so those are there so you can hold me accountable. There's a danger in sharing your resolutions, and there's a reason we don't make resolutions. I know some people, they're so holy, they say, I just don't know if it's scriptural for us to make a resolution because we should be improving, you know, every day. And I'm just like, that's a cop out. Okay, it's either that or I'm not that holy. Okay, but I do think that there's a time for us to assess where we've been and make plans for where we're going. Ecclesiastes, take a look at this. And as I read it, you will be reminded of the birds. B-Y-R-D-S, not the birds in the air, but the birds of band. They had a great song. But Ecclesiastes 3, 1 through 8. It does remind us that time is not meaningless. Like, I think that New Year's, that timing, I think it's a good time. I don't think time's meaningless. I have this strong conviction that time matters because God created it. In Ecclesiastes 3, verse 1 through 8, we need to keep this in mind going into this next year. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. There's a time to be born and a time to die. A time to plant and a time to pluck up what is planted. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to break down. And y'all, a time to build up. There is a time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. 
There's a time to cast away stones and a time to gather stones together, a time to embrace and a time to to refrain from embracing. There's a time to seek and a time to lose, a time to keep, a time to cast away, a time to tear and a time to sow, a time to keep silence and a time to speak, a time to love and a time to hate, a time for war and a time for peace. And now y'all go look at Galatians chapter 4. So you're going to flip many books over to Galatians 4. But Ecclesiastes 3 reminds us that there's a time for everything, which is what makes Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7, so incredible to me. This is how I want us to start this new year. I want this reminder there before us. If there is a time for everything that occurs, and if in the beginning God created time whenever He said there was morning and there was evening the first day, there was evening and morning the second day, and evening and morning the third. When if he did that, and he created time, there's a time for everything. The Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 through 7. This is just amazing to me then. But when the fullness of time. So all that time that God created. And the reminder, there's a time for everything. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his Son. Born of a woman, born under the law. Verse 5. Why? To redeem those who were under the law so that we, y'all, we might receive adoptions as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. At the fullness of time, God sent his son to redeem us. That's why we sit here. You and I are sons and daughters of the King because at the fullness of time, at the perfectly right time, Christ came for us. That's just amazing to me. I just want to want to keep that in front of you. That with God, time is not meaningless. I think that God gives us times for everything to experience. I do think that the new year is a great time for us to reflect on the past year and to make intentional plans going forward, which is... All of this to kind of intro Philippians chapter 2, verse 16. So go ahead and flip to Philippians 2, 16. Here's how God works, and I've seen Him work in my life and in the life of cross life. We do take time to intentionally plan our sermons. Like, what's our sermon series look like? Um, God, where are you leading us over the next year? So He put Philippians in front of us, and by God's design, and trust me, I wouldn't be good enough to do this. By God's design, we're Philippians 2.16 at the beginning of a new year with many Christians gathered together and we're looking at holding fast to the words. Because you know what many Christians start to do January 1st? I've got an, I need an, I'm going to get in the Word this year. I'm going to get that one-year Bible done. I'm going to start this plan right now. I'm never going to miss church this year. I'm going to be right on top of it. Oh, my goodness, y'all. It is a common New Year's resolution for Christians to get, to, to get deeper into the Word. And I think that that's a good thing, right? We're going to just take a look at what this actually means. I'm going to try and give some very practical advice of what that actually means for us because I do realize that I struggle with that. Whenever I'm preaching and I'm, I'm pastoring, sometimes I'm like, well, just go live for God's glory. That's what you're supposed to do. Sounds great. But what does that even mean, Right? I get it. So I've got some practical steps today that, that if you are someone who's saying, I know I need to get in the Word better today, 
I think that this is a, a verse, not just for you, but this is a verse for all of us. Remember, Paul is writing to the Philippians. He's writing to believers, and he's reminding them of this thing. He's writing to believers today by God's Spirit that this is what we need. So here's what Philippians 2.16 says. Here's our verse for today. Holding fast to the word of life so that in the day of Christ, I, Paul, may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. What you and I need is to hold fast to the word. The word will sustain you. The word will sanctify you. The word will not relent on its promises. It reminds us of our sins. It reminds us of our need for a savior. And that reminds us that we need to be praising the one who has saved us and that we will, this is the last reminder, be doing this for all of eternity for His glory. You and I are so much smaller than we want to admit, and He is so much grander than we can imagine. That's a good thing. Your new year should be grounded in how small you are and how large He is. And with that, we need the Word. All right, let's pray one more time. Lord God, with that long introduction before us, Lord, I pray that you help us to truly grasp what it means for us individually and corporately as a body to hold fast to the words of life. But Lord, I pray that you do stop my mouth anytime I begin to speak too much. Lord, I pray that I do not add to your words. And Lord, I pray that we as Christians cling to who you are and not to who we want to be. Lord, you are amazing, and we thank you for your grace. Amen. All right, so that's easy enough. Philippians 2.16, hold fast to the Word. If you just take that, you put it on an index card, you memorize it, you put it on your dashboard, you put it on your computer desk, you're good. You're going to be able to pull this off. You're going to start your one-year reading plan tomorrow if you haven't already started it. You're just going to keep plowing through it, and then, oh my goodness, you're going to hit a weekend. You're going to hit the first Saturday, and you're like, do I actually have to read on a Saturday? Do I not have to read on a Saturday? And then Sunday, we were in the sermon, so there was a lot of scripture going on. Do I have to read on Sundays? Do I not? But then all of a sudden, you're one-year plan. You're back on Monday, so do you have to catch up for Saturday and Sunday? Each one takes 15 minutes, so now you got 45 minutes at it. I've been there, y'all. Like, I have gone through that. There's a lot of pressure with that one-year Bible. It stresses me out. I'm not going to lie. I'm OCD. You can't read anything out of order. What you and I need is not a better plan. What you and I need is to hold fast to the words of life. And so we're going to kind of look at that. So I joke about the one-year Bible because I can't do it. So it's better for me to just kind of knock it off to the side than for me to just deal with the fact that I can't do it. Okay? But at the same time, you know what's really a good plan? The one-year Bible. It really is a good plan. I'm just too OCD to pull it off. I'm not good enough yet. All right, so we're going to look at that here more in just a second. Why does holding fast to the Word, what does it mean in context? I want to look at that first, and I want to look at what it means to hold fast, and then I've got practical applications of how, we go, how do we go from here and actually do this in a realistic, um, flesh-and-blood type of way. Okay, but take a look at what this means. Why do we need to hold fast? In context, Philippians chapter 2, verses 12 through 16. Now, we preached 12 through 18 a couple of weeks ago, but we're really, we've kind of broken it down. So if you go a couple of weeks ago, um, I'm just going to kind of remind you of what we went over. So in verse 12, keeping it all in context, Therefore, my beloved, Paul writes, As you've always obeyed, so now, not only is in my presence, but much more in my absence, 
Work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for it is God who works in you, both to will and to work for his good pleasure. Verse 14, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Some say complaining. Verse 15, so that you may be blameless and innocent, children of God without blemish, in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation, among whom you shine as lights in the world. And then verse 16, holding fast to the word of life, so that in the day of Christ I, Paul, may be proud that I did not run in vain or labor in vain. So what do we see in these verses? Several things. I'm just moving 12 through 16 to hold 16 in context. He writes to him and he says a few things. Verse 12, he says, you've always obeyed. That was their reputation, that they were always obedient. And may that be said of us, that we are always obedient. The Philippians were always obedient. I would love that that would be said of me. He also says in verse 12 that they and we are to work out our salvation with fear and trembling. Why fear and trembling? The writer of Hebrews says it is a fearful thing to be in the hands of a living God. And so what we looked at in that sermon was a fear that we've forgotten how to tremble before such a holy God. Right? He is high. He is holy. He is completely other than who I am. And because he is holy and I am not, I need to approach with fear and trembling. Yes, I have peace with God. That's not saying that we don't have peace with God because of the blood of Christ. It's saying then we need to remember that he is so much grander than who we are. That in approaching him, though we have peace because of Christ, we also tremble because of his holiness. He is massive. If we were to look out there and project the throne of God, and, just, and I just said envision a throne, and you could kind of paint one out, then I would say make it bigger. And so you would magnify it, and I'd say make it bigger. And I could keep saying forever and ever, make it bigger and bigger and bigger, because as long as our imaginations can grasp it, then that's not God. He is beyond our imagination. So we need to approach him with fear and trembling. Paul's writing to believers who are saved by Christ, and he says that we need to work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. He also tells them in verse 13, it's a good reminder that God's working within us to will and for his good pleasure. As you work out your salvation, there's hope because you do not work on your own, but the Spirit is within you working this out. That's a good reminder. Now, verse 14, the easiest of them all, do all things without grumbling or complaining. All things. All. New Year's resolution. If you don't have one, there it is. You're welcome. Verse 14, do all things without grumbling or complaining. If you look closely at my resolutions, church, you'll see that I need to have a readiness to embrace what God is doing, and I'm wanting to do that without grumbling or complaining. He's reminding believers to do all things without grumbling or complaining. Verse 15, he says, you need to be blameless and innocent. <laughs> blameless and innocent. Praise God for His grace, not only that it saved us once, but that it, re- it forgives us and we are redeemed and saved for all time. His sacrifice on our behalf was once and for all. We don't have to crucify him again and again and again. What we do is we confess. Lord, I know I have failed again. Please forgive me and thank you for your grace. And then you tell Satan to shut up because he's just going to remind you over and over and over again. And then he says that we are to shine as lights in this dark world. And then verse 16 he says, and... Last thing, hold fast to the word of life. So what are these? 
They're great New Year's resolutions. I mean, if you didn't get any, there's you about four or five right there, New Year's resolutions. But this is, get this, this is the developing life of the Christian. That's what this is. This is a developing life for the Christian. I, I fear and tremble before God so much more now than I did a decade ago. And I hope, I hope that a decade from now, I fear and tremble so much more. I think that I grumble and complain less now than I did five years ago. But I hope that by the end of this year, I'm grumbling and complaining even less. I know that I held fast to the word then, but I think that I hold more now. I'm just, it's, we progress more and more and more. We never arrive until we see him. So that's why verse 16 matters. The developing life of a Christian is that we hold fast to the word. We read it more, we share it more, we live and we rely on it more and more and more. Okay, so the more that we fall in love with Christ, the more that we will fall in love with the word. The more that we cling to the word, the more we will fall in love with Christ. Okay, it kills me. Pastoral confession right here. It kills me and frustrates me in a loving way. Whenever someone says, oh, I love the Lord. I love the church. I love the Word. Cool. What's, where you been in the Word lately? You know, what I tend to do is I kind of just like, I, I try my best to get in the Word, but, but then I don't really get into it. Sometimes I like to drop in and see what God has in a song, but they're not really attending to the Word, but they love the Word, right? And so they'll be very critical of others, and that's, that's where my pastoral frustration comes from, is they'll be very critical of others, or very critical of the church, very critical of other people's walks and their convictions, and yet they themselves are not in the Word. So the Word has to be first and foremost in our lives. Okay, so now what does this actually mean? We're going to move quickly towards the practical. Look at what it says, hold fast. You and I do not talk like that anymore. We don't hold fast to something. Like if I'm walking along the streets and, and, and Rachel says... So, you know, um, so what are you doing? I'm just like, I'm holding fast to my family. No one talks like that anymore. Um, you know what we do hold fast to? We hold fast to our phones. I don't mean that as a, I'm trying to give you an illustration. I'm not giving you a conviction. We hold fast to our phones. We do hold fast to our kids' hands in crowded places. We do hold fast to those things which we care, care about. Holding fast just means you cling to it. So whenever it says hold fast to the word of life, it's cling Cling to the word of life. Why is it called the word of life? Because it does give us eternal life. It's through the word that we have knowledge of the holy, of our sin and of our need for a savior. So whenever it says hold fast, it just means cling to it. So Paul says the developing life of a Christian is that you will cling to the word. Everybody good? Now, that, that helps us with the song, He Will Hold Me Fast. There's a, a great song. I loved it the first time I heard it. I was just... Man, it, it hit me really hard because I know what it means to hold fast. And then I played it for others. They're like, well, what does that mean, hold fast? Like, I don't get it. He will hold me fast. He will hold me fast. It means he will cling to you. When my fears arise, he will hold me fast. When I cannot keep my grasp on him, he will hold me fast. Christ will cling to you. We are to cling to the word. Christ clings to us. It's a mutual clinging right there. Okay, so it means cling to it. So I'm just going to ask, rhetorical question. If we are to cling to the word, how are you doing with that? Confession, I didn't do my quiet time yesterday on a Saturday. You know why? Because Saturdays are hard to do it. 
You don't have to be legalistic about it. I'm just asking, how are you doing clinging to the words? Right? Dave Ramsey, at my house we call him Devil Dave. Um, Dave Ramsey is a financial guru. He gives great financial advice. We call him Devil Dave at our house because I don't always like his advice and how it impacts me personally and my preferences. Um, But he does have great advice. He really does. And he's gotten us back on track. Um, Great philosophies. But um, he is notorious for saying that your checkbook reveals where your heart is. That where you spend your money, that reveals where your heart actually truly is. So I can say, for example, that, that I care about that I care about missions or that I care about the homeless or that I care about serving others. And Dave Ramsey would say, okay, open your checkbook. Do you? Do you really care about those things? I would say that our schedules reveal the exact same thing. Where we spend our time reveals what we care the most about. Right? So if I say that I love my family, for example, and yet I do not spend time with my family, then you have, to, you have the very logical, reasonable, re, uh, reasonable reason to say, but do you love your family if you never want to spend time with them, if you're always finding a way to be gone, if you're always trying to find a way to have an excuse and you're never there with your family, do you love them? Of course I do. But there's a difference in word and deed, right? Just to make it less emotional, I could tell you that I love cheeseburgers, okay? So let's get away from the family thing. Let's go. I love cheeseburgers. Absolutely, I love cheeseburgers. They're delicious. I would eat cheeseburgers all day long. I really will. They're like my favorite food, okay? But if you never see me eat a cheeseburger, I never order a cheeseburger, and we're given the option, I'd choose not to, to take the cheeseburger, but I take the hot dog or the pizza instead, which, by the way, still rank up high on my list. But if I never take the cheeseburger, you have a very logical, reasonable reason to ask me, I thought you liked cheeseburgers, but you never really indulge in it, right? How we make our choices, that reveals where our heart truly is. So where am I going with this? If we say we cling to the Word and I say, how are you doing with that? Look at your schedule. Are you making time to cling to the Word? Because our schedules really do determine what we care the most about. We put the most important things first because we're not going to miss those. And then we put everything else second and third and fourth. And then we have those things where if I don't get it done today, that's fine. I'll get it tomorrow or next year with the New Year's resolution. But we have those primary things. If you were to go through your schedule, I would say, what are you clinging fast to? For me, I cling fast to family. I think if you look at my schedule, family ranks up there. Um, You know what I also cling a lot to? My time. Like, I want my time. I don't think that's bad, by the way. I think you've got to have that personal refresher so that you can pour into others. I think that that's okay. But are you clinging to the Word also? Does it have a place in your schedule? And I'm gonna, that's going to be part of our practical application of, okay, Ricky, how do we actually get to this? Okay, but that's what it means to hold fast. It means to cling to it. There's another translation. Instead of hold fast, does anybody have hold forth in your, your translation? Hold out. Okay, so the word, the original word there um, in the Greek has two different meanings. And scholars fall on two different sides. And I fall right in the middle and say, I think it all works the same in the end. Both are valid. Hold fast, you cling to the word. The other translation is hold forth or hold it out. So again, we don't hold things forth. 
You know, like if Jackson and I are getting ready to play Xbox and he's like, Dad, where's the controller? And I say, I'm holding it forth, son. Then he's not going to have any idea what I'm talking about. But to hold forth means that you hold it out, right? So we hold fast, we cling to it, hold forth is holding out. And it might seem like two opposite things, but here's what I found in life, that when we hold fast to the word, we inevitably start to hold it forth. As you cling fast, then you begin to offer it back out. Okay, so... We looked at how we cling to it. Like, what does that mean? It means to cling to it. What does it mean that we hold it forth? It means that we're holding it out. Now think about that in, in verses 12 through 16. Work out your salvation with fear and trembling. It's going to be effective because God's working in you. Don't grumble or complain. Shine as light and hold forth the word. Like, it's a very logical conclusion that the developing life of a Christian is not that we do all these things and that we're clinging to the word more and more, but that as we do all these things, we're taking this word and we're starting to hold it out. This is how we are lights in the darkness as we hold forth the word. But I would contend and I would remind you before you make it something you, you put as a something to check off, you can't hold something forth that you're not first taking in. Right? So, what does it mean that we hold it forth? It means that we share it with others. It means that we're talking about it. It means that it's something that's ready on our lips. Like some very practical advice for holding forth. Like if you're saying, okay, I cling to the word, but I want to make sure I'm holding it forth. Just three really simple things um, right here. Number one, share what you're reading with others for them so that they can just share in it with you. I mean, just tell others. I like to ask that question. Remember, uh, man, we're going to, I'll be at McDonald's on Old Greenwood Road, right? Yeah. Okay, Old Greenwood Road. I called it the Phoenix Avenue McDonald's because I get to it by going to Phoenix. But first Monday of every month, 6 o'clock, men, I'm just going to be there eating breakfast. It's a time of fellowship and food. Like, we're not, we're not doing an intense Bible study because it's 6 o'clock in the morning for crying out loud. But we can't check on one another. And it's going to be a common question, you know. So, so what have you been reading or what's God doing? What's God teaching you in your life or where are you growing right now? Like that's just a great thing that we should be asking one another. I like to share what I'm learning with others. Whenever I read something in scripture, um, even especially the weird things, I like to share the weird things that I find in scripture, but also just the comforting things. But why do we share it? You can share this with your friends, with your family, spouse, even a child. But, um, the whole idea is that you're just sharing it with them because this is what believers love to do. You know what believers love to do? They love to talk about God. The world doesn't want to hear about God. I want to sit down and talk about God with people who like to talk about God. I can talk about the world with the world. I want to sit down and I want to talk about the Word with people who like the Word and who can be like, man, that is really weird. Like, you get into the law, there's some really weird stuff back there. Okay, here's number two. Share what you know to be true so that others can know. And what I mean by that is the first one is just sharing for the sake of fellowship. The other one is sharing so that they know. The world needs to know what sin is. They need to know what our stances are. They need to know what we cling to. It might, it might be in a conversation. It might be on social media. I would encourage you, church, that social media is not the best place to engage with others in doctrinal or theological issues. It's just a lot of sound and fury out there. I think it's good to put forth the truth, but true, genuine dialogue is where we can actually speak our convictions and probably make the most headway. But I do think that on, on our social media, if we're not sharing gospel truths and scripture, then we should be. I mean, if that's what we love and what we cling to, then it should be a natural output of what's going on. It doesn't have to be the only thing we put out, 
But if it's so central to who we are, how can it not be something that we put out? And then number three, whenever you do this, share your convictions with, get this, grace and humility so that others may know what sin is and the ramifications of sin, but also the genuine nature of your faith. Scripture does say that we are to, have a re- to, to be ready to give a reason for the hope that's within us, but then we do it with gentleness and grace. Why? Because our Christ came for us in gentleness and grace. He does the work. He does the shaping. He does the conviction. He leads us in our repentance. We don't have to be aggressive. We have to speak with gentleness and grace. Okay, so that's, that's holding fast. That's the holding forth. Now I'm just going to give you what we probably need, holding fast. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to read some scripture to you first. And, uh, and let me just, uh, I want to be mindful of my time today. I want to take you all to some scripture real quick. In case you're wondering, why should I cling fast to it? Go to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 and 17. Several of these verses, if you are an underliner in your Bible, or you mark things and you haven't marked them, then these are great ones to mark. These are great ones to also memorize, though I do not have all these memorized. But these are going to remind us of, of why. Why do I need to hold fast? How am I going to do that? Take a look at 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. Here's why you and I need to cling to the Word. 2 Timothy 3, 16 through 17. All Scripture, all of it, even the weird parts, even the mysterious ones, all Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness. Why? So that the man or woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. There are so many training seminars out there. There are so many pastoral conferences and leadership um, things that I could go to and that you could go to. But what you and I need to be the most equipped in righteousness and for every good work is the Word. You want to grow in righteousness? We need the Word. You want to be a leader someday? Read the Word. You want to be a missionary someday? Read the Word. You want to just be better this year in your righteousness and you're pursuing Him? Read the Word. That's all we really need is the Word. Take a look at 2 Peter. It's very close. 2 Peter, verse 120 through 21. 2 Peter, chapter 1, verse 20 through 21. It says, above all, you must understand that no prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation. And then it says, um, you must understand that, I, I just, I, I'm sorry. <laughs> I repeated the exact same verse. Let me actually flip there very quick. Actually, someone who's got it, you go ahead. I had it on my screen, but I've got the wrong verse in front of me. Second Peter verse 1, verse 20. Start there. No, no, 21. Goodness gracious, y'all, I apologize. There you go, 20 and 21. I just, okay, First go for it. First of all, you should know this. No prophecy of Scripture comes from one's own interpretation. Because no prophecy ever came from the will of man. Instead, moved by the Holy Spirit, men spoke from God. Did yours have as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit? Okay, great. That's why I love different translations. 
Here's, here's the point of 2 Peter with, with uh, 2 Timothy side by side. All Scripture, 2 Timothy said, is breathed out by God. That's enough for me to want to read it. Then we get to 2 Peter, and you know what it reminds us of? That no Scripture was written apart from God. God inspired the Scripture. We, if, if, I, if my wife wrote me a love letter, and I said, oh, that's a great letter. She's got an envelope. It looks wonderful. Sitting there on the mantle whenever I come in, I'm like, oh, she wrote me a love letter. First off, that would be a huge accomplishment, okay? I'm just telling you. I'm not knocking her. I'm just saying it would be a huge accomplishment. She, uh, she's not confident in, in her usage of words. And so, but she wrote me a love letter. I, and I walked home like, that's amazing. Cool. And then I go sit down and watch TV. Or I just I'll go to her. I'm like, hey, thanks for the letter. Did you read it? No, but I'm so glad you wrote it. That's just a lot of what we do with the Bible, y'all. The God of all creation has spoken to us through his word. Why would we not want to read that? Listen to what, the, to what Jesus says in John 17, 17. This is a great one for you to, to go to also, but if not, just make a note. John 17, 17, Jesus is praying for his disciples and all believers, and, and he says to, to God the Father, Jesus says, Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. To sanctify or to be sanctified, I mean, that's our process of holiness. Sanctification is. So for you and I to be holier, to be sanctified more and more, we need the word. Sanctify them in truth. Your word is truth. If you and I are not taken in the Word, we are not going to grow in our sanctification. I don't care how many devotionals we read. If it's not saturated in Scripture, you're not going to grow in righteousness. I'm just going to have you listen to what some of the, some of the verses from the psalmist. I've got several here. Psalm 12, 6 says, The words of the Lord are pure words, like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. In Psalm 1830, the psalmist says, As for God, His ways are perfect. The word of the Lord is flawless. And God is a shield to all who take refuge in Him. In Psalm 19, verses 7 through 8, the psalmist says, The law of the Lord, so that's even the word there, the law of the Lord is perfect. It revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord, that's still the word of the Lord, is sure. It makes wise the simple. The precepts, which is still the word of the Lord. It's just three different ways to say the word. The precepts of the Lord are right. They rejoice the heart. The commandment of the Lord, that's still the word, is pure, enlightening the eyes. When we get into the word, listen to this. If I just replace the law, the testimony, the precepts, um, and the commandments with the word, listen to what this tells us. The word of the Lord is perfect and it revives the soul. The word of the Lord is sure, makes wise the simple. The word of the Lord is right, and it rejoices the heart. The word of the Lord is pure. It enlightens the eyes. Like, that's what you and I need. You know why I get so dragged down? Because you know I do. If you walk life with me, you know I get dragged down, and I get weary, and I get tired. And yet, when then whenever I read the word, all of a sudden, I'm just like, oh. It's like a breath that just kind of pushes through. It's kind of like snowflakes on a randomly cold morning. You just wake up, you're like, ah, there is a winter out there. We need Psalm 119.11. Here's what the psalmist says. I have stored up your word, God, in my heart. Why? So that I might not sin against you. How do I know how not to sin? How do I know what sin is? 
I store up His Word in my heart. I can't know the fullness of sin without reading the Word. In Psalm 119.105, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. You know why we feel like we walk in darkness so much? Because we don't have the Word open before us. The darkness is heavy, y'all. The darkness is real. We have an enemy that really wants to discourage us and disappoint us and distract us. And so all of a sudden, we just feel like we're surrounded by all this darkness. And yet Scripture says that His Word is a light into our path and a lamp into our feet. If we're not going to be in the Word, you're right. The darkness is going to press in on you and be overwhelming. But when we get in the Word, I'm just going to go back, then we're revived, we're made wiser, we're refreshed, we're rejoicing. Last one, Matthew 4.4, 4, and then I'm going to give you practical steps. Matthew 4.4. 4. Go ahead and turn there real quick. This is a... Wait till we all get there. Matthew 4.4. 4. This is in the midst of Jesus' temptation. And uh, the context in verse 3 says, The tempter came and said to him, Jesus, if you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. In other words, if you're hungry, then you, Jesus, you can turn these stones into bread. And look at what Jesus says. But he answered, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone. Pause. I love bread, by the way. Like last night, that was a core part of our meal. I love bread. His whole point, though, is not simply bread. He's saying man does not live by food alone. You realize that, right? You can drink all the water you want, have all the food you want, meet all the nutritional standards, and you only live because the Lord sustains us. You and I are here today because the Lord allowed us to wake up to yet another day. That's what he means. So not just bread, but man shall not live by food, by bread alone. Look at this. But by every word that comes from the mouth of God. You and I are to live our lives based on the Word of God. But we cannot live our lives based on the Word of God if we're not reading the Word of God. There's a disconnect. We can't be connected to the vine if our branches has been severed right here because we refuse to get into the Word. Okay, now, so I'm saying all this because I, I really want you to understand I get it. I really, really get it. We love the Lord. We know the Word's important, but life gets busy. Life gets messy. And if you don't need what I'm about to tell you for you, then use it for somebody else because I guarantee you somebody in your life, a Christian, is going to need this. Because they don't read the Word, does that mean that they're not a Christian? No. You know what? We have a whole lot of churches filled with people who weren't discipled for so many years that they don't understand the need for the Word. That's why I just want to give you some verses that remind us of why it's good for us. But as I'm looking out, I also know who I'm talking to. I'm talking to people who understand those things and they're being reminded of those things. But if you don't need this, then you need to have this so you can share it with somebody else. The goal of our gatherings is to worship God and to be equipped to go out. So this is what you can go out with. But if you need help, we're in, I've got about six things for you and then, then we're going to conclude. Here's what I practically have to do. I have a place. Number one, if you want to cling to the Word, you need to have a place. For me, this really, really does help. 
because I know whenever I get to work tomorrow, I'm going to my office and I'm going to sit down at a desk and I go into Mr. Massengale mode. Like that's the place where I do my work. I'm associating that with a place. That really does help you whenever you're trying to do your quiet time. If you don't have a place, you will probably find that it's harder to keep a quiet time. So for me at my house, it's a brown roll top desk that used to belong to my grandpa. It's in our living room. I've got a lamp on it and I keep my Bible there. All my other books I try to, and whatever I'm currently reading, but all my other books, they go on the shelf. All my other Bibles, they go on the shelf. But the one that I use for my quiet time, I keep in my desk. Why? Because I know that if I get up in the morning and I'm getting ready to drink my coffee and I go to sit down and my Bible's not there, I know how Satan operates with me. I will get distracted between that desk and that bookshelf and I will lose valuable time that I know I need. That's the thing with all this. We know we need it. So I recommend you have a place. Now, moms with little kids, this might mean that you have to make a little fort and you're like sitting under a blanket with a flashlight, but you need to have a place where you know that's your time and you need to guard that place. But have it set up so that whenever you sit down, you know what you're going to be doing. Number two, you need to schedule it. If you don't schedule your time, your schedule will schedule itself. If you don't put this thing on a schedule, and I'm not saying put it in your phone, I'm not even saying... It has to go on a paper copy, but for some of you, for some of us, like me, it has to. But you need to schedule it so that you can make sure that it's one of the most important things and you're going to guard that schedule. But if you don't have a plan of, I'm going to get up at 6.30 every morning and I'm going to read my Bible, then I'm going to get ready, then you probably won't find it in your schedule. But you do need to schedule it. I schedule it into my days. After all these years, um, as a pastor of a church, and you might even, well, pastors should just automatically do these things. And I told you, I didn't even do my quiet time yesterday, right? And that's okay, just so you know. But I have to put it on my schedule. Like, if if I don't, then Satan's going to come in and he's going to take that moment from me. But whenever you schedule it, it might have to make you uncomfortable. Is 15, 15 extra minutes of sleep really that impactful whenever you can get up and have 15 minutes in the Word. And I like my sleep too, right? Or 15 minutes right before you go to bed. Rather than this is, this is my time whenever I like to, to decompress, what if it's 15 minutes whenever you're decompressing in the Word? Or maybe it's your lunchtime. Whatever it is, I can't tell you the best times. That's for you. But you need to schedule it. And I would just say, what is the most important thing in your day? What do you know you absolutely need today to grow in righteousness? That needs to go on your schedule first. And then everything else flows from there. I've also found this. Dads hear me on this. Moms hear me on this. I have found that I'm a better spouse and a better, a better spouse and a better father and a better friend and a better pastor and a better leader whenever I'm in the Word first. Otherwise, I'm operating out of my own energy that I started with that morning, not out of the Word, which energizes and revives me. Okay. So you have to have a place. Number two, you need to schedule it. Number three, you need to keep your schedule, okay? And this is the non-negotiable part of your schedule. I had to break it out separately because here's what will happen. Um, if, you, if you break your schedule, then you need to keep your meeting, okay? If you, I'm going to come back to that here in a second. But you've got to keep your schedule because what Satan will do is he will lean so close and say, but is it really that beneficial, 
I mean, Ricky, it was just one day, and you act like it's not that. It's not a big deal. And if, if we don't keep our schedule, then Satan will be there and remind us of, look, you made it through a day, and you didn't have the Word. It's really not that impactful. Any way that Satan can distract us or make us comfortable in being apart from the Word, he will absolutely do. But can I just tell you, whenever you keep your schedule, even if you say, I've got five minutes, so I've got ten minutes, in that five to ten minutes, the darkness trembles. The most faithful strategy, the most impactful strategy against Satan and his armies in the darkness is the life of a committed Christian. The best sermon is going to be forgotten. I have listened to sermons in person with Piper and Louis Giglio and Francis Chan, and I've been in that moment where I'm like, that's Piper. This is going to be the most amazing sermon ever. I've got my pastors that I love to listen to, and then I forget their sermons. I don't know a thing of what they preach. I remember the moment of seeing them walk on stage. I can have the, most, the greatest sermon right here, and it will be completely forgotten. But whenever committed Christians are committed to the task of growing in holiness, Satan cannot stop that. So you need to be in that passionate pursuit on your own. So keep your schedule. Shut up, Satan. Keep your schedule. And then if you break your schedule, you still have to keep your meeting. So I might have the best intentions of getting up at at 5.45 to read my Bible, but then a kid wakes up puking and I miss my 5.45 to 6 o'clock schedule, then I still need to keep my meeting at some point. I need to get that 15 minutes some point in the day. Something else has to become less important than that 15 minutes or five or whatever it is. Number four, you need to have a plan. If you don't have a plan, you can't keep a plan. This goes all the way back to what I said at the very beginning. If you don't have a plan, you can't keep a plan in growing in the Word. I used to do this thing. I called it the Holy Dip. I'm not the only one because you've done it too. I have no doubt because we're all Christians. Lord, I just really need something from you today. What would you have me to know? Ezekiel. Never been in Ezekiel. So you shall divide this land among you. Accord. That's not for me, Lord. That one. Okay, as I, like we just do this dip into the Bible. Lord, what do you want from me today? And if it lands in Proverbs or something we're comfortable with, that's, you know, the Lord can speak that way. But uh, I've just found it's not really that impactful or beneficial. It's an act of desperation. Have a plan. One-year Bible reading plans are good plans. One-year Bibles are good Bibles. Chronological one-year Bibles are good Bibles. They're also just plain Bibles. They're good Bibles. So, but the one-year plan, that is, if you've never done a one-year reading or one-year Bible plan, and you're not familiar with the Old Testament um, or really any scripture, I actually really do recommend the one-year Bibles because you get some Old Testament, you get some New Testament, you get a Psalm, you get some proverb in there, and you just keep moving through. And it breaks it out, so you're like, okay, it's it's January, not December, but it's January the, what are we on? (laughs) Second, January 2nd, okay? You go there and it says January 2nd, and you read that. And then you forget, and it's January 8th all of a sudden, you just pick up at January 8th. Like, it maps it out for you. That is a good plan. It really is a good plan. Number two, find a devotional, but I will say be careful. Any devotional you read that relies more on the author than on Scripture, read it as a, as a, one, uh, as a one-on. Like, add that to your Bible reading. But there are so many devotionals that really don't have Scripture. And keep in mind that as you read a devotional, you're reading somebody else's interpretation or application of the Scripture, not the Scripture itself. I have some great devotionals I rely on, Streams in the Desert. Love it. That's one I will always, always read. So, But do find a good devotional. That's not, un, that's not unbiblical. I think it's good. Topical studies. 
If you have a if you have a phone, which most people in this world do, the Bible app has so many good devotionals and Bible plans on there. That's fantastic. If you if you struggle with anxiety, there there are topical Bible studies on anxiety. Here's scripture to help you. That's good, that's healthy, that's equipping. All right. The Proverbs method. I've got I've got the last three right here for you. I call it the Proverbs method. Today is January the 2nd. So I will read Proverbs chapter 2. Tomorrow is January the 3rd, so I will read Proverbs chapter 3. Whenever it's January the 9th, I will read Proverbs 9. There's 31 Proverbs, 31 chapters, I'm sorry, in Proverbs. So you can reset it every single month. It's not a story. It's not a narrative. They're collected wise sayings. They're called aphorisms. So every time that you reboot at the beginning of each month, you will find something new. You will find some new nugget right there where you're like, oh, that's good. So I call it the Proverbs method. I've done it for a decade. Right now I'm not. I'm going to tell you the method I'm using here in a second. But if you said, um, what's a really good thing I could start? I've never really read the Bible. I would say do the Proverbs method. It kind of breaks you into it. And then you can always add to it. Whatever day of the month it is, you read that proverb and you try and find one or two verses in there that you really just focus on. Why does that work? Because Proverbs is written for those who know and fear the Lord and they want to grow in wisdom. It's not for the world. It's for believers who need the wisdom of the Lord and it's a good way to break into Bible reading, especially here at the beginning of a new year. This next one I call the Trent McKinley Method. Those of you who are holier than me are probably like, oh no, that's such and such method. I'm not that good. I call this one the Trent McKinley method. Those of you who are guests or don't know Trent McKinley is a gentleman who sits right over here. Um, they're on the road this day. Here's his method. He take, He's moving through um, the epistles and he's actually reset, I believe, now. Um, so he started with Romans and he reads the entire book every single day. Every single day of the month, he wakes up and he reads. So Romans is a pretty hefty book. And his words to me were, but Ricky, I'm retired. I got all the time in the world. I tried doing it um, on some of the shorter books like James. but That's five, five chapters. So reading James every single day. And it took a little bit of time, but he's not stopping and pausing and, and dwelling on each verse. What he's doing is he's reading the entire book. And whenever you do that 30 different times, you know that book inside and out. What if you want to take up that method, but you can't do the fullness of Romans? Well, just set aside a time, 15 minutes. I'm going to read for 15 minutes through Romans, and wherever I stop, I'm going to pick up 15 minutes tomorrow. So you're not broken up by chapters, but you're still try- your goal is to read Romans as much as you can in a month. I call it the Trent McKinley method. He's the first person I know who, in, like in the flesh who's actually doing it and held to it. And I've seen, like, it's just been really neat to see. Because I'm like, it's somewhere in 2 Corinthians. He's like, actually, it's 1 Corinthians. And it's going to be in, like, chapter 7. Like, because you get so familiar with the book. Also, the epistles are letters. So go back to that, that letter on the mantle that my wife wrote me. Like, if I were to go back and read it and I only read, like, a paragraph. And then I, like, put it down till tomorrow. And then I read the next paragraph. It won't have the flow of a letter. Paul's epistles and, and, the, and Peter's epistles and James... They're letters. So that was part of Trent's conviction. Is I want to read the whole thing like the way it was meant to be read. Does that make sense? Trent McKinley method. I call this one the Warren Wearsby method. It's so simple. I really like Warren Wearsby a whole lot. And whenever I read it, I thought that's just genius. Why did no one ever tell me after being a Christian since I was seventh grade or so? Like nobody ever told me it was this simple. And it actually combines a lot of these elements. Here's what Warren Wearsby says. He starts Genesis 1, 
um, Psalms 1 and Matthew chapter 1. Some of you are like, oh, sounds like a one-year Bible. It is, but there's a lot of grace in it. This is the one I actually encourage um, people. You read Genesis, you, you shoot to read a chapter in each one. But you know what? If you don't feel like reading the full Genesis 1 because you feel like you're, you're at a good stopping point, then you stop at Genesis 1.15. Like that's where, that's where the Lord stopped you in Genesis. And you go and you read Psalm 1 and then you get to Matthew chapter 1. But you don't want to stop at the end of chapter 1. You want to go to Matthew chapter 3. So you're, but you're reading in the Old Testament. You're reading in the wisdom literature. You're reading in the New Testament as the Lord leads you and with grace for the time that you have. Does that make sense? It was so simple. Like I'm, I'm sitting there on vacation this year and I read about the method that he uses and I'm like, why didn't anybody tell me this? This is so simple. I've made it through Genesis. I've made it through Job and Ecclesiastes. And I'm only like in chapter eight of Matthew because I got to the Sermon on the Mount. I'm like, I don't want to read a whole chapter in Matthew. I want to look at each one of these segments of the Sermon on the Mount and really dwell on those. So it's the Warren Wearsby method. You need a plan. You don't have to start in Genesis. You can start in Leviticus if you want to. But the idea is you start somewhere in the Old Testament. You start somewhere in the wisdom literature. I didn't start in Psalms. I've read Psalms a lot. I've read Proverbs a lot. I started in Job and because I, I haven't read Job a whole lot. So I started in Genesis, Job, and Matthew. And now I finished Job. I finished Ecclesiastes because I got to Ecclesiastes. I'm like, I can't stop. This is awesome. I got to parts of Genesis. It was cool. I just kept plowing through it. But I call it the Warren Wearsby Method. Pick three different parts in your Bible. Read to where God stops you, and that's okay. You will not get into heaven because you read the Bible in one year 15 different times. You will not get to heaven because you've made it entirely through the Bible. You will get to heaven because of Jesus Christ who has saved you because you called upon his name and he's forgiven you of your sins. Because he has done that, we cling fast to the word. Have a place, schedule it, keep your schedule, have a plan. And number five, keep it realistic. If you are a busy mom, I'm looking right back here at Marissa, okay? She's got four little kids. She doesn't need to plan a 30-minute Bible time. You can if you want. I think your house will fall apart. Realistically, you know what, moms with little kids? You can probably have five or ten minutes, and that's okay. Some of us, we have schedules where we do have five and ten minutes, but because of where we are in life, we have longer and five to 10 minutes is robbery from God because we can be given 20 to 30 or more. And in different seasons, he's going to call you to it. To it. Um, some, some of you have businesses and your businesses are really busy at certain points and then they're really slow at certain points. My job is, is in swings. Like it's really busy and then it's, it's really slow. Not this past year. This past year has been just accelerating, which is really cool. But you need to keep it realistic. Whatever it is that you can actually realistically do you do it to honor the Lord. That's good and honorable. Five minutes or 50 minutes, that's between you and the Lord. That's not for anybody else to judge. But be realistic. And then this last one, and then we're going to conclude. This is the last part of the plan, practical advice. You need to forgive yourself whenever you fail at this. You've got to forgive yourself whenever you fail to read your Bible. I'm just going to read my notes here for it. When you do not keep your schedule or when you drop the ball, I don't care how long it is, one day, one month, half a year, you forgive yourself and you get going again. For me, this is where the one-year Bible can be defeating because I'm not good at forgiving myself, to be quite honest. But you just got to forgive yourself. 
You've got an enemy who's going to beat you down and tell you how worthless you are as a Christian because you quit reading your Bible. And if you love the Word, then why aren't you clinging to the Word? Why'd you fail the Word? Look, you made it on your own without the Word. You've got an enemy that's going to accuse you. He's called the adversary for a reason. You don't need to accuse yourself. Why? Not because it doesn't matter, because it does, but because Christ has already forgiven you. He didn't just forgive you for the sins that you committed before that moment of salvation. He forgave you for the sins that you committed before and the sins that you, he knew you would commit after. We don't live perfect lives, but we strive to do better every single day. But the enemy will lean in close and he will make you feel like a complete failure for missing your 15 minutes. And he's going to do everything he can to make you want to just abandon it entirely. And that's whenever he calls you a failure, you can just simply say, I am. I am a failure. I can say that with a smile on my face right now, not because I delight in my failure, but because, because I am a failure and I know I'm a failure, I rest completely and wholly in Christ. I am a failure. All my weaknesses, all my failings, they're true. We, we sit there and we try and like show how much stronger we are than our weaknesses. I'll tell you, I'm weak and I'm fallible. Praise the Lord, he saved me because I couldn't save myself. I am absolutely a failure, Satan. And yet Christ loved me and made me his own, so shut up. That's theological. You can do that. All right, so if you want to cling to the word and you haven't or you've struggled, here we go. Have a place. Schedule it. Keep your schedule. I do those separately because first off, you have to keep the schedule. Um, you got to make the schedule. You got to keep it. Have a plan. Keep it realistic, and then forgive yourself and shut up the enemy. Y'all, this is a very practical sermon. I think this is something we can do something with. This is how I've benefited from growing in my quiet time and keeping it and making progress. I once heard it said, "Show me a Bible that's falling apart, and you'll see a man that isn't." I'm actually using a, a new Bible that was given to me by my secretary today. It's a Bible I haven't used much. I used it because it's large print. I need larger print now. Okay? But it's also like using somebody else's glove. Like you go to play baseball with somebody else's glove. It doesn't quite feel right. I'm having to break this one in. But if I told you I love the Word and my Bible looks pristine and, and just like this and I... You'd have to wonder, yeah, but how do you love it? Audible, right? We can use Audible. You can listen to the Word. That's another thing I should have put on here. I'm good with that. But there's a good saying, show me a Bible that's falling apart, and you'll find a man that's not. In other words, we need the Word. The Word sustains us. It gives us the strength we need. It gives us the encouragement we need. Why? Because it always points us ultimately back to Christ. Y'all, what we need is not a great sermon, not a perfect church, we don't need the best job. We don't need the best, best marriage. What you and I need to do is cling to the Word. And in that, we will find the comfort, the wisdom, the direction, and the peace that we need. Let's pray. Lord, teach us to hold fast to the Word and to hold it forth. Teach us as we go from this place, Lord, by Your Spirit that's within us, interceding with, with words too deep for understanding. Teach us what it means to love the word which you spoke and which you embodied and which you have sustained for us today. Lord, may it always be said of Cross Life Fort Smith that the word will be central. 
But Lord, more than that may be said of us as Christians, individually in our personal lives, that the word is central. Lord, give us that hunger and desire. Lord, help us to hold fast and to hold forth to the word. Amen.